Coming to you pre-recorded from a cramped closet in Las Vegas, Nevada, and a New York City apartment far too close to the street. It's your favorite millennials with too much time on their hands. Welcome to the Red Team Reviews Podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Red Team Reviews Podcast. I, the voice you're currently listening to, uh, am the voice of TJ Patrick, joined as always by the cat king to my muta, Trevor Catalano. Wait, I'm sorry. I definitely you're, made you wait, Tim Curry. Okay. <laughs> I That's def- me, I, babe. <laughs> the, the, I was so sure that was Tim Curry. And then there were a couple of line deliveries that made me go, um, maybe that's not Tim Curry, actually. That doesn't sound it's, like it's, Tim it's Curry. Certainly, it's certainly, like, it's like Tim Curry, Curry when he has, like, his health issues start arising and he does more of the voice work. Because, mm. like, he has had a lot of, like, health issues since he stopped, like, acting on screen. Unfortunately. And so, like, you can kind of tell that, like, when his, when you hear Tim Curry and his voice is lower, it's like, oh, he, it's because he's, he's actually getting old and he's having health complications. So, like, sorry to start mm. this off on a bad note. Sorry, everybody. Well, I mean, it's not necessarily a bad, it's a, it's a very solemn and real note. And that's appropriate for, once again, talking about Studio Ghibli. Or Ghibli, I don't, I never... It's it, a never, GH followed by any vowel is guh. It's guh. Please, please understand. I just want so badly to not offend anyone. I just. <laughs> I am a lot like Haru in that way. <laughs> oh, that's one I could have done. You could have been the Kiki to my Haru. Um. Or no, the sand. Nah, 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 nah. The sand. <laughs> you're you're son. <laughs> you're really trying, trying desperately to kill, <laughs> to kill a capitalist. Yeah. Yes. Okay, that's true. <laughs> Lady Eboshi is Jeff Bezos. She's like, just get fuck off, get out of the way, and let me kill this fucker. <laughs> Um, but yes, everybody's like, it's not going to work. Someone else will just replace him. I'm like, I don't fucking care. It's on principle now. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, as mentioned, we are once again talking about Studio Ghibli to usher in our Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month celebration. Uh, So much like watching any of these movies, just sit back. Get a bowl of popcorn or some other snack, some very wholesome snack. If you did a little like a little bento box. Um, with all your favorite treats, uh, that would be appropriate because it's Ghibli. What are we going to say that is not overwhelmingly positive? Um, it's not, we're not talking about Howl's Moving Castle where there's a little bit of like, uh, what? So, you know, sit back, relax. You're not going to get rage necessarily this episode. To be fair, to be fair, there are still some things that need to be said Oh, there are certainly themes. We're talking yeah. about Princess Mononoke as one of them, which st- is still relevant. Honestly, a-, a movie that like the hero's desires and structures to dismantle just feel incredibly apt for the struggle that Gen Z is going to inherit. Um, but carry on. 
To be clear, I said things, not themes. Yes. Um, I, because... I know. I know. Oh, okay. I said themes. Yes. Because uh, I there are certain elements that are sprinkled kind of throughout all three of these movies. And if anyone's familiar with my track record so far, you can probably predict where TJ would be like, yeah, uh, I got to mention that. I got to mention that, especially in, especially in uh, the first one we're going to talk about, which, speaking of, uh, today we are going to be discussing The Cat Returns, a not often discussed Ghibli movie, which I picked that one on purpose, uh, Kiki's Delivery Service, which is one of like the more popular ones, but neither me nor Trevor had seen. Nope. And... Also, we are going to talk about the big one, the obvious one, the really big one that's not called Spirited Away, <laughs> Princess Mononoke. Um, so this was actually, it's its a fun fact. Uh, the first time we did Ghibli Week, we almost put Princess Mononoke with Nausicaa, the Valley of the Wind, and then we eventually replaced it uh, probably with... Uh, what was the third one we did? I don't remember what the third one we did was. I know we did it. I don't remember. Um. Oh wait, no. Ob- oh, obviously, no. No, it's a uh, probably How- Howl's Moving Castle. Um, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did already say it. I it did was already say it. Spirited Howls and Nausicaa. Um. But originally, Mononoke was in there, and then one of us or both of us made the call of like, you know, Mononoke and Nausicaa are very similar. Yes. <laughs> so maybe we don't need both of these. And lo and behold, we finally got around to talking about Mononoke again, but that's not until much later. First, we have to talk about The Cat Returns. And I mean, neither of us have history. <laughs> no. No, and also, I watched these in such a way with whatever was going on with me where, like, I actually don't feel confident in doing a, like, plot recap on any of these. I can probably get you through Cat Returns. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, the story of Cat Returns is about uh, this young girl named Haru because... Most of the Ghibli movies, I'm getting the sense, are about a girl of a younger age, like under 18. Um, Mm -hmm. Or they're the princess of Genovia. I'm struggling to... (laughs) It's Anne Hathaway. Oh, oh, oh. In the dub. Okay, that was the joke. I was like, I Yeah, and Kristen Bell is... uh, Kristen Kristen Bell is her friend, too. In this. Yes, which is really interesting. Um, Two princesses. One, two princesses from Disney. That's what I said now. Did I? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, the live live action princess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm with you. Okay. Uh, This movie came out in 2002, which I'm trying to wrap my head around, like, when Anne Hathaway got, like, big. It's around the same time. Okay. Because it's interesting. Once I finished the movie and saw the credits and saw Anne Hathaway, I was like, that's interesting. Yeah, she was definitely, she was certainly younger, but she was also, it felt like she was playing younger at certain points. There were times where I was just like, this sounds like a very young girl's voice, but she is easily 18, 19, 20 at this point. Yeah, she does a, she does a really good job, to be fair. 
Uh, I yeah. never got a handle on Baron's voice, but that makes sense because it's Carrie Elway's. And yes, I mean, I think, I think I've seen the Princess Bride. I think I, I maintain that you and I, when we do the Princess Bride, should both do that and do the pandemic one that was just the stitch together of all the celebrities. Because I think it's a worthwhile piece of of art history. Uh, I don't think I actually know who does the Andre the Giant part. There's a couple people, but Jason Segel is the most famous one. And now the gears of my mind turn as they try to work out if that's an upgrade or a downgrade. I mean, it's no one's Andre the Giant, so there's that. But, but that implies that Andre the Giant is good. So I'm like. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, Jason Siegel is the spiritual successor. I could say that because one, I'm a wrestling fan, so you know it's with love. But also, too, yeah. because Andre the Giant is not physically around to, like, kick my ass. Uh, because he would. <laughs> um, <laughs> you mean squish you. Squish you uh, is what it would be. Via the stories I've heard, apparently his thing uh, was shoving his sausage-sized thumb up people's asses. Love it. Love it. Let's talk about <laughs> the cat returns. <laughs> Look, this is what happens when we talk about Ghibli. Because there's, you know we're not, there. you know that We're going to be like, a, just, just a blanket <laughs> note out here of it. It's like, it was beautiful. It was stunning. I'm going to make a little few little quips here. I'm going to say things that I really liked. I'm going to comment on the voice performances. And then we're going to talk about the themes of Princess Mononoke. That's Did how the episode's going to go. By the way. <laughs> what? You know, we're going to say things like it was beautiful. It was stunning. <laughs> she's, en- she's enchanting. Um, Aw, she's ugly. Maybe Slabak is on her. Oh, I know. That was me. Oh, oh, oh. I'm... It it's so funny because I'm now getting at the po- getting to the point in this podcast where I'm genuinely mixing up my imitation of John Mulaney with actual John Mulaney bits and thinking they're all John Mulaney bits. That's crazy. That's so stupid. Um. <laughs> so anyway, the plot of the Cat King. Sorry, the plot of the Cat Returns. I look. I was. I'm looking at the Wikipedia. Um. The plot of the Cat Returns is that Haru is a normal you know, student in assumedly Japan, like assumedly Japan. Um, I don't know if it's Tokyo specifically, but it doesn't quite matter as much as it does in like um, your name. Uh, I told you it's Genovia. Sorry, continue. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Haru is a normal, uh, you know, teenage girl. Uh, who's having her normal teenage girl problems and likes a guy who's seeing another girl and he's hot and popular and she's basically, you know, Japanese Lizzie McGuire at this point in the beginning of the movie. And lo and behold, one day she's going about her business, walking home from school, talking to her friend played by Kristen Bell, and she sees a cat that randomly walks out into the road and traffic is coming and I don't know what the fuck is up with the cat. Neither does she. So she, of course, jumps up. She has a lacrosse stick, by the way. Uh, she jumps in, scoops up the cat with a lacrosse stick, and, like, saves the cat's life. The cat then stands up, straight up on its hind legs, dusts itself off, and says, thank you very much. 
and like, you know, some other stuff, obviously. It's a movie. And then runs off, and she was like, huh, that was that was fucking weird. <laughs> it goes about her day. Later that night, a procession of additionally standing and talking cats along with, with cat a- secret service <laughs> cat secret service like hitting the undesirable cats that try to fawn or and or rush the parade <laughs> which is i don't know if it's funny but it definitely made me laugh uh <laughs> i think there was a couple times in this movie where it's like i don't know if that's funny but i'm definitely laughing yeah. uh case in point the cat king played by tim curry uh, Which then, is like his two lazy eyes and absolute just mess of a furball body. I was like, yeah, it even looks like Tim Curry. Stop, babe. Um, <laughs> so the Cat King, very grateful for her saving what ends up being uh, his son. That's the cat that she saved earlier that day. Uh gives her like a slew of gifts over the next day and it makes her life hell because they're only gifts that cats would like, like mice and catnip and all this shit. And she's like, look, bro. And the again, eventually like the servant of the king checks in on her. He's like, hey, so played by Andy gifts? Cohen, Andy Richter, Andy Richter. Sorry. <laughs> wow. That is a big mix up. <laughs> Because Andy Richter was absolutely in my brain. That's funny because, like, I didn't have to look. I did not have to look up Andy Richter. I saw the character, heard, like, a sentence, and I was like, I don't know why I know that's Andy Richter, but that is absolutely Andy Richter. <laughs> that's just the role he plays. He's just on the side being like, hey, I'm here. <laughs> and you know if this was made today, that would absolutely be James Corden. Um, or Patton Oswalt. Really, Patton? Uh, there's Oswald? a scale. There's a scale. Patton, uh, Patton plays a lot of those roles where it's just like, yeah, man, I'm the, I'm the, you know, I'm the clerk. <laughs> I'm the clerk animal. Um, <laughs> like, I feel like there's a scale where it's like the worst version is James Corden, the middle is Andy Richter, and the best version is Patton <laughs> Oswald. <laughs> like that is the scale of your like companion clerical characters. Like, we start to look at the character and be like, huh, you're voiced by Patton Oswalt. I would have thought Patton would have been the main character. And he's like, I know, right? But anyway. Uh, t- <laughs> <laughs> Remember Ratatouille. Regardless. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so he checks in on her, and she's like, I fucking hate this shit. And he's like, well, I think you'll feel better once you marry the prince. And she's like, eh, maybe. Wait, what? And that's like basically what happened. (laughs) She like asks, she like pauses and then it's just like, is he cool? (laughs) Like she considers it. (laughs) That is like, this is literally Japanese Lizzie McGuire at that point. (laughs) Just like, is cool really the priority here? Oh, I mean, so like, uh, clearly we're talking about this as you're going through the plot, um, which we may not do for all of them. But like, there is something about this movie where like, there are just these pause moments where like, everyone is just pausing to acknowledge the absurdity of the world. And then they carry on. And like, there's the pauses are just long enough for me to for me to just for her to catch up with the insanity of what's going on around her. And I actually think it's like one of the 
strongest points of the movie is moments like that where it's like, yeah, it's going to be fine. You're just going to marry him. So is he cool? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like, what is the name of Thor's hammer? Jonathan? <laughs> I feel like that's definitely, uh... oh, we know that was Paul Rudd, wasn't it? That's Paul Rudd. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's uh, Paul Rudd not caring about the cinematic universe. <laughs> um, makes uh, sounds legit. Yep. Uh, so the servant cat scurries off, and she's like, "Wait, fucker! I'm what? No, many reasons why I can't be married to a cat. Many, many reasons." And then a voice from the ether tells her to go to this place and f- seek a cat there, and she's like, "I mean." What do I have to lose at this point? I'm literally talking to cats and about to be married to one. I'll follow a strange voice, is a uh, strange voice's instructions. So she goes to the place and finds the cat Muta, and I'm just gonna Peter go Boyle. ahead and cap this here. Do a quick moratorium. Way too many fat jokes. Way too many fat jokes. Way too many fat jokes. And like, also. Can we just get, like, I know this was made in the 2000s, where fat jokes had their renaissance, but, like, where just hurtful jokes in general had their renaissance. But, like, I hope by this point we all can just acknowledge that this is just one of the most lowbrow, lowest-hanging fruits, and it's, I struggle to even, like, I was, like, hovering over the skip-forward button when some of this started happening. I was like... Oh my, can we just move on? Move on. See, I I wasn't even clocking half of them because I was just enjoying hearing Peter Boyle. I mean, which sure. I, I thoroughly believe that they let Peter Boyle translate his own lines or they certainly translated it, laid it for him because no one other than Peter Boyle can pull off the phrase get thrown in the loony bin. Like he he is he is the person who says that phrase. And I just I know everybody loves Raymond far too well because of my father. And so just hearing him talk <laughs> at all, I was just like, yes, uh-huh, uh-huh. Only Peter Boyle can say the line in that specific way. It's perfect casting. Thank you. And while we're going out of our way to acknowledge uh voice actors, uh I'm I'm probably gonna get his name wrong because it's this, but Renee Aubergenois. Ross and Rachel's dad. No. Renee Aubergenois. Oh. Uh, plays the, like, uh, R- Royal Vizier cat. The one that's not Andy sure. Richter. Um, every yeah. time I hear his voice, it is a delight. It is like a blessing every time I hear his voice. I'm like, oh, there he is again. Um, I know him. Also, actually- not to knock, not to knock, uh, not to knock, um, Oh my god, I had the name and it just completely Of which character? Left my brain. Of the of the girl cat. Oh, Yuki. That's Judy Greer. Judy Greer, thank you. That's a Judy Greer's also great in this. Carry on. That's all yeah, I was supposed to say. And then I got sidetracked by my brain. It's very interesting that they would cast her, because I'm like, huh. Because I would never, I would never, like, the casting process for all three of these movies is just fascinating to me. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm like, how, but how did you pick them? How? How of all the people did you pick them? <laughs> you mean Kirsten Dunst and Matthew Lawrence? Not just Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst in 1989. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, what the fuck? 
She's a child. <laughs> um, but we'll get to that in like just a second. So I bring up the stuff with Muta, one, because fat jokes are awful. Stop doing them, please. But also because Muta's just an uh, an interesting character without all of that anyway. So it's like, like, Muta's fun. I like Muta. Leave him alone, fuckers. Oh, God, I sound like Allison. Um, I almost said Campbell. It's not her last name anymore. Um, so after she finds Muta, Haru finds Muta, not Allison. Uh, after, <laughs> after Haru finds, now I'm just imagining Patsy as <laughs> Haru. Now, after Haru finds Muta, he takes her to the crossroads. Oh, do you remember this? The crossroads of... Uh, I don't remember. It, but it basically, I don't remember either. Muta takes her to see Baron, played by Carrie Elways. And uh, they're joined by Toto, which is a uh, uh, a bird. A Raven? Big bird. Crow? Yes. Okay, yeah. Uh, a big bird, played by, yes, Ross and Rachel's dad, as you alluded to earlier, Elliot Gould. <laughs> <laughs> which... Uh, that's also another. For anybody who's never watched this movie and is constructing it off the voice acting alone, <laughs> they must be having a wild time. <laughs> yeah, I imagine that there's going to be quite a few people uh, that, if they listen to this, The Cat Returns is probably the one they haven't seen. Right. So <laughs> it's just interesting to just like be like, huh? This is certainly a cast. Uh, and that's the case with uh, basically all three of these movies. A lot of the Ghibli voiceovers. Uh, we're not even going to talk about Liam Neeson and Ponyo. Um, so, she Haru meets Baron, and it describes the situation. She's very polite. She's very self-deprecating. And Baron is like, all right, I'll help you. But remember this. You must believe in yourself. If you believe in yourself, you can get through anything. Uh, then the... Andy Richter cat comes and collects her forcibly and they ride a sea of cats to the cat kingdom. And now I'm starting to feel like, and that chase was pretty fun. It was. Now I'm starting to feel like I'm just, this is the same energy of trying to recite the plot of cats, the musical, because it's just like, you could just start saying mostly anything and just, like, put cat, sprinkle the word cat in there. And, like, yeah, I'll buy it. <laughs> they ride on a sea of cats through a couple of cat portals, a la Doctor Strange before Doctor Strange. And they get to the cat kingdom where uh, they accidentally drop Haru and she lands in, like, the peasant out, like, the outlying parts of the kingdom where the peasants live. And they meet Yuki briefly, which very clearly is the cat from a flashback earlier in the movie that Haru helped a long time ago. Haru doesn't remember. Everyone with eyes is like, oh, that's the cat she helped in the beginning. Okay. Um, played by Judy <laughs> as as Trevor mentioned. Uh, then the best way to put this is just shenanigans. Shenanigans Yeah, it's happens. just, uh, it's just uh, I don't want to get married. <laughs> But then we're going to, like, put you in the dress and you're kind of just going to sit there and mope. But also, it's furry bait because she starts turning into a cat. Yes. 
She starts turning into a cat. Massive furry bait. And they put a big old slab of raw fish in front of her. And basically every five seconds, the Cat King and company are like, huh? Huh? (laughs) And they're looking around and be like, why does she like the fish? This is not the best fish. She should be eating the fish. Why is she not? Why does she not like the fish? She's Demand really upset. Entertainment. Oh, she better entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> and they throw cats out the window, a la Ember's yes. the Groove, and I lost it. <laughs> like <laughs> every time that, like the bodyguard cats, like burst into the room. And then rush the per- cat and just, like, toss him. And they do, like, the flying cartwheel out of the window. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Eventually, Baron comes back in disguise, tries to save Haru. It kind of goes tits up. And then Muta jumps in and, like, acts as a distraction and the, he- and the muscle and... Baron and Haru are trying to get away, and then they got to go through a maze to get away. Just pure shenanigans. Pure like, shenanigans. The way they the way they get out of it is they figure out that there are literally cat soldiers who have slabs of the maze strapped to their backs, and they have to just alter the labyrinth as they're going. And their solution is just they kick them over, and then they all fall like dominoes in a perfect path to the exit. And, I, and <laughs> the king and his crew are just watching this, being like, "Ah, shit." And I'm, I was just sitting there being like, this is great. Literally, the Rene Aubergenois uh, cat is like, you fuckers, you lined up in a line? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, why did you line up in a line that well, leads right to the and exit? They, <laughs> and they certainly do that kind of like farcical thing where like they then have to go upstairs along like a needly tower. And they're like, oh, no, don't worry, sir, sire. There are guards up in the tops of the tower and they'll just get rid of the stairs. And then they like outsmart them and all of those cats fall over. And then and, and the, the vizier is just like, I'll call the contractor to repair the <laughs> tower. And then their last resort is to shrink the tower by blowing up the bottom of it so it sinks. And then all of this just ends with the son, the pr- the prince, finally coming back and going, no, I'm I'm not going to marry her because I love Yuki. I, I left to go get Yuki something. I told you I was going to marry Yuki. You just got really attracted to this human girl and just decided to do this. And the king just goes, ah, oh, man. That cat, Maybe I shouldn't be king anymore. <laughs> that cat king. That cat king looked at that tower and said, "Bomb them, bomb them again. Keep bombing." Them. <laughs> I just wanted to make that TikTok joke. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Baron and the king duel, and the king loses very badly because the Baron is the shit. Um, yeah, he is the shits. Um, and then they go through the portal, but because the cha- tower shrinked, because the tower shrinked, the portal's down a different place in the human world, and they end up tumbling through the air at an alarming rate. And then Ross and Rachel's dad slash the guy from Oceans 11, 12, and 13 
like, summons a bunch of other birds to save them in the nick of time. And then Haru tells Baron that she kind of wants to bone him a little bit. And the Baron's yeah, like, yeah, she has like a crush fine. on him. And <laughs> that's the end of the movie. <laughs> He's like, to be expected. <laughs> I go through this a lot. I'm told that I have um, a lot of riz. I'm not sure what these what the <laughs> <youths> mean. Uh, <laughs> Is that the point where they say, what are all these chickens doing here? Oh, yeah. When uh, the birds save them, that's what Mood <laughs> Mood is like. Which is, what are all these chickens doing here? Which is a spiritual predecessor to, look at all, all those chickens. chickens. <laughs> <laughs> We were at the same place mentally. <laughs> yes. Quite literally, going through that was the most effective way to do it because, like, I have no notes. Like, truly. <laughs> I mean, it is, same. It's just goofy. It's just a nice, very sweet kind of fairy tale Like, it's a little Alice in Wonderland. It's, you know, it's a little, like you said, a little Emperor's New Groove in that way where it's like, yeah, no, we're going to go to this new place and there's going to be like a, you know, it's going to be a little bit of like transformation stuff and there's going to be a little bit of like kings forcing people to do shit and not understanding your customs and there's going to be a dashing hero who doesn't say as you wish, but he may as well have. Um, Basically. Yes. Uh, you know, and just like the, you know, the, all, the only things that I haven't said are like, yeah, during all the press, like all the, all the procession for the pre-marriage when they're like, and the darts are made of squids, um, which was like, all right, interesting. Um, and then I forget, was it when, was it when Baron comes in or was it with somebody else where somebody said he's cheating? Was it, was it, they, was it when he said he's cheating that they threw him out the window? Uh, I'm trying to decipher no, my note. No, it's, uh, Muta hops the wall of the maze, I believe. Oh, and then the- that's right. That's right. <laughs> and then the guards get up there and they start falling <laughs> because they can't figure it out. <laughs> but I think, I do think that like one of the, probably my favorite moment of the entire film is right when Andy Richter comes to collect Haru and they're mid pouring tea and, uh, and about to like eat a cake. And they're just looking in that direction, like Wes Anderson and they go skip the tea. And then they can then they burst into action. And I'm like, that is the exact way to describe the humor of this movie. <laughs> Like, all I can kind of say is that, like, and the cat, the cat's right in hieroglyphs, which is funny. Uh, <laughs> like, it's just goofy. It's just like, just strap on for the ride. It is an easy ride. It is like one of those Disney rides that just goes through the plot of the movie so kids can go, oh, there's Flounder. It's kind of like that. It's not going to expect too much of you. Oh, yeah, and for some reason, Muta is, like, this infamous criminal, and that leads to literally nothing. Nothing changes. <laughs> Muta is, uh, what's the name of this fucking Ronaldo Moon? And they're like, oh no, oh, it's Ronaldo yeah. Moon. And then I'm like, okay, what, what does that matter? <laughs> That's such an anime thing, though. <laughs> this movie. Don't you know I'm the Cypher Chief? Oh no, the Cypher Chief. I thought he was just a myth. Uh,. T- <laughs> <laughs> title of the episode tales of the cypher chief um god (laughs) i gotta make a character now what's what accent should i do i think the cypher chief's gonna be scottish on to kiki's (laughs) delivery service (laughs) 
now on to Kiki. Do you have anything else for cat uh, cat returns? Quite literally, no. I said everything that I wanted to say. Cat returns is a trip. It it, it truly is. Um. And it's like one of the shortest ones. So it's literally just like it's 75 minutes of boop, you're done. Yeah, it's just fun. It's just fun. So if you're even remotely curious, and I'm almost sure that anyone listening to this has not seen it already, or maybe you did just for this episode. Thank you. But um, I'm talking explicitly to Leela. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't, you know, maybe give it a shot. Like It's pretty silly, pretty fun, you know. It's whatever. Uh, which brings us, of course, to Kiki. To Kiki. She's a witch. <laughs> She's a witch. Witches go off on their 13th birthday to new cities where they settle and do something that's witchy. And her main thing is flying on her broomstick. So she rents a room at a bakery and starts a delivery service and proceeds to meet a whole bunch of people. And basically the entire thing is about how, when you go to a new place and you need to figure out what your life is going to be, this is how you do it by just doing it. And it, that's Kiki's delivery service. And it turns out <laughs> it was Agatha all along. Catherine Hahn was in this. Is that an actual, or was that just a witch <laughs> reference? <laughs> that, yeah. It's just a witch. It was just a witch reference. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I was I was confused. I was like, I didn't hear Catherine Hahn. I didn't hear uh, Octavia. In 1989, Octavia, I doubt you were going to hear Catherine Hahn. <laughs> Olivia Octavius. Um, this, additionally, is is a cast. Um, it is it is certainly a cast. Some I didn't pick up on anybody who were, weren't the the three that we mentioned. You know what's interesting? Uh, I actually called it was Chris. I I called a hundred percent it was Kirsten Dunst. I because something about the way that she talks, I don't know if it's a lisp or something, but it's something about the way that she talks. Sometimes certain sentences, certain words, and I was just like, I bet that's Kirsten Dunst. That seems like after Anne Hathaway, that's yeah, I would bet that this is Kirsten Dunst. That tracks. I didn't know at the time that this was nineteen eighty nine. That maybe would have made me not <laughs> pick Kirsten Dunst. But assuming that this was like early 2000s, I was like, yeah, you know, Spider-Man. Um, I guess to a lesser extent, Eternal Sunshine, maybe. I don't know. A Marie Antoinette. I don't know when that came out. Uh, and then, like I said earlier, I kind of caught Phil Hartman. I absolutely caught Tress Mc- McNeil. Because if you've even watched a little bit of The Simpsons... Tress McNeil is everywhere in that fucking show. So you just start to know Tress McNeil's voice. <laughs> and the same thing happened in Mononoke. I was like, oh, there's Tress. <laughs> and also... No, see, I, skipping skipping to Mononoke, though, like the experience that I had because DiMaggio is in, is in uh, Mononoke. And I never even watched this particular series of Ben 10, but I just know that he plays that character wrath. That is a parody of, you'll probably know the wrestler more than I will. Um, where at like his catch, his little thing is in the middle of battle. He'll look at an enemy and be like, let me tell you something, bad guy. And I don't know who he's parodying. That's you Hulk have to tell me who he's parodying. Okay. He's parodying Hulk Hogan. Um, and so the entire time, because he's doing the same 
tone timber of voice that he does in the Ben 10 thing where the entire time, anytime he was talking to me, where I'm just hearing him say, let me tell you something, Ak- uh, Ashitaka, um, was exactly the same feeling that you were having. Are <laughs> oh, you talking about John? DiMaggio. I can't even do his voice. I feel, I, yes, John DiMaggio. John DiMaggio. I feel, <laughs> I feel, I feel gross that I can't do it and I can't do it justice. Just look up Wrath compilation on YouTube and you don't even have to like Ben 10. It's just funny. I'm honestly genuinely surprised of all the things to bring up when talking about John DiMaggio. No, I didn't bring up Bender, obviously, right, I'm like, but he doesn't sound quite like, he doesn't really sound like Bender in this. He sounds gruffer than his Bender voice. He sounds like that other voice he does. I don't know, bro. Like, I only, only hear Bender and like Finn, I guess, from, not Finn, Jake, Jake from Adventure Time, because those two voices are very, <laughs> very similar to me. Um, But yeah. Uh, Oh, but let's back up real quick to... um fucking uh kiki um because we will definitely we will definitely talk about um mononoke we'll probably talk about mononoke the most out of all three of these so yep yep um i just want to make doubly triply sure even though i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure i'm right um so, uh, yeah, I immediately heard Kiki's dad's voice and was like, who are you? I know you. It took me so hard out of the movie. I was like, okay, no, you can't pull this shit on me. I know that fucker. And yeah, that's Johnny Bravo. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm valid any you. I actually don't remember because he's only in two minutes of the movie. Um <laughs> I mean, he plays other things. I'm pretty sure he's one of the penguins from Penguins of Madagascar as well. Um, gotcha. Like he's he's one of these people that's like everywhere, and I never never remember his name specifically. But like he's another one of those like John DiMaggio types, which is like, I've, yes, I've heard you a million times. Um, yeah. And then um, I mean, hell, Tara Strong is in Princess Mononoke. Like, I'm not even a little surprised. <laughs> I'm not even a little yeah. surprised. Debbie Reynolds. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Debbie Reynolds is in this movie, and that was a bittersweet yeah. thing. I was like, oh, that's that that makes sense, you know? Um And then Janine Garofalo, Garofalo also in the movie. It took me a long yeah. time to I was like, who the fuck is Ursula? And then I was like, Oh, I bet it's the I bet it's her older friend. Yeah. Okay, the one that's like a big sister to her. I was like, okay, that makes sense. Oh, yeah, bird lesbian. (laughs) It's in my notes as bird lesbian. That's so funny because I follow literally plant-based bird girl on TikTok, and it's so close. (laughs) It's like the Wish Great Value brand, like, ripoff. Oh, wait, no, you're talking about, and she has Craig the Bubble Boy? Yeah. I've seen her at a bar. Check that box. Oh my god. This is <laughs> it's getting bad when it's now TikTok people. <laughs> yep. You have a problem, Trevor. <laughs> Listen, if I was ever in the same room with Jessica Burbank, uh I I think that I would make an absolute fool of myself. I don't know. That, that economist is. is a brilliant woman. Um and I and anybody who is doing that whole stalking thing with her should 
get go get fucked. Um, anyway, continue. It wasn't me. I see. See, I say that. I say the whole like me liking this person, and then I mention her whole saga, moving cities, and now it sounds like it's me who did. I didn't. For the record, uh, so carry on. Um, that I re- I just realized that that the sequence of me saying those things did not sound great. Um, so carry on Kiki's delivery service. I gave the plot at the very end of the movie. There's a dirigible, um, a blimp, a Zeppelin. Uh, why the fuck they call it a dirigible? Uh, I just had one, like, it's just like thick note, thick note, thick note, dirigible, thick note. (laughs) It reminds me of like thick meaning like multi-line. It reminds me of band geeks. Da, ba, 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 da, ba, ba, ba. Da ba ba ba, da ba ba ba, dirigible, dirigible, dirigible. And then the winds that they established earlier in the movie blow the dirigible, of course. And then Tombo, played by Matthew Lawrence, is in danger, and she has to get back on that, get back on that broom that she couldn't get working before, and save him. I feel like uh, you could just replace uh, Gazebo with Dirigible in that uh, John Mulaney <laughs> The Dirigible! The Dirigible! <laughs> and once again, sorry for all the war dead, the Dirigible! <laughs> God damn it. Um, but yeah, you glossed over it real quick. Played by Matthew Lawrence, which is weirdly the most dated he's not even of all of he's these. not even the lawrence brother with a catchphrase so we can't even be like whoa because that's not him um <laughs> um apparently he was in mrs doubtfire a movie i still haven't seen um yeah and then phil hartman is Gigi, and so speaking of that, great segue to get into my notes. I feel like it is obligatory for every Ghibli character to have a reluctant creature sidekick. Reluctant, I think, is the only part I would quibble with. But yeah, every every single one. I has. mean, Mononoke, he's not he's not quite reluctant. Uh, uh, Jakul is not quite reluctant. Um, but like you know, I I consider uh, what's his uh, Calcifer in that category. Yeah, and I, well, of course you would. Yeah, he's Billy Crystal. Yeah, you're it's highly me. biased. <laughs> <laughs> Put that um, thing back where it came from, or so help me. Bum, 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 bum. So help me, so help me. <laughs> it's a musical. Uh, <laughs> God damn it. Um, God, does that make me sully? No, you're, you're, what's his face? You're Steve Buscemi. Um, <laughs> sorry. I don't mean that. Um, I feel like you did. <laughs> <laughs> I love Steve Buscemi. Uh, well, yeah. I really love Steve Buscemi. Yeah, I like Steve Buscemi, but like in the context of Monsters, Inc. <laughs> there was somebody online on TikTok who uh, had a, com- a side-by-side comparison of, of Bill Skarsgård and, uh, and Steve Buscemi at the same age. And they were a big, like, attracted to Bill Skarsgård. And they were like, oh, no, because I'm not attracted to Steve Buscemi. But, oh, no, they do look very much the same. I don't understand this. Oh, no. Oh, no, no. Uh, <laughs> God damn it. Um, I immediately forgot so much of everything of what you just said. I don't. <laughs> I was talking about sidekicks. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was talking about sidekicks. 
but like the yeah. cell phone of the 2000s. Gigi, it's so interesting because like I was waiting for Gigi's character to like turn the corner and become lovable. No, they just <laughs> silence him. It just doesn't happen. I was like, how dare you? And it's like when when Kiki's magic is fading, they just make it so that she can't understand Gigi anymore. And especially because Gigi is going and he's fucking the other cat that they're just like, well, that's Gigi's that's Gigi's arc. And even when she gets the broom back, he's not going to talk again. And I'm like, that was what such a weird choice. Right. Because I'm like, what does that mean? Yeah, it's like she has some magic. What the it, like, it'd be one thing if it it'd be one thing if they stuck the landing, because like I said, this whole movie is about like it's a combination of like talking about writer's block and talking about like being in a new place and trying to like establish your life and like the major growing pains and insecurities that happen with that, even when like when you really get to the end of it, you look back and you're like, Oh yeah, the world was my oyster the entire time. I just had to like literally process all the things that I had to process that were new and scary and hard and that I had to learn in order to get there. Like that is the whole theme of the entire movie. And so it'd be one thing if like at the end of it that she like made peace with still not being able to understand Gigi because she like has a life now. So it's like they can have that relationship without words, but they don't do that. So I mean, it just would have, it just, like, it just ends so suddenly. It didn't have to end that quickly. <laughs> yeah. Also, what happened to the dirigible? It was stuck on the building. <laughs> yeah, everyone's just happy that Tombo got rescued. Then- yeah, meanwhile, the all the other guys are in the cockpits. <laughs> and I'm like, I guess they're safe, but, like, they're also kind of just hanging there. Are we going to do anything about that? Because, like... Also... Are you telling me that nobody even got injured when that thing fucking came down? Because that's a stretch. I mean, when I saw that's it. That's like early MCU stretch. <laughs> when I saw it come on the screen, I literally was like, oh, are we about to do a Hindenburg? Because it sounds like we're about to do a Hindenburg. And I don't think this movie is going in that direction. But I mean, why else do you bring up a blimp? Oh, God, there's so many Archer references at once. Oh, my God, I never expected this. This is the most unexpected thing to come out of a Ghibli episode. (laughs) Because there's the, is that how you want, is that, do you want ants? Because that's how you get ants. And then there's a whole episode on a blimp, and Archer's, like, freaking out because, like, at any moment the blimp could explode. And he's like, and the guy's like, no, that's not how it works on this blimp. So funny. Um, one of these days, I'm gonna force you to do Archer on a rejector renew. You just wait. Um, All right. And it's gonna be weird and uncomfortable for both of us because I actually have no idea how to feel about that show. Um, so, like, anyway, continuing, continuing on the Gigi end end of things, though, I do enjoy the way they animate Gigi because they definitely lean into the whole like, oh, this is a black cat, aka this is a void with eyes. Um, and the way that he gets to be expressive when no other part of his body has like any other sort of, or it's just like the motion of his body plus eyes. Like we don't need the detail of his ears or his mouth in order to see exactly how he's interacting with things. Yeah. I was just about to say like, it's interesting that, uh, Gigi isn't more like 
marketable as like like another companion like calcifer is like marketable i would argue no i can't even argue tato but i do love tato um like some of these companions are a little bit more marketable uh but then i was just about to say why isn't Gigi? and then i re-listened to my own thing that i said like five minutes ago about like i was waiting for Gigi to turn the corner he just doesn't <laughs> I was like, maybe, maybe he's kind of just there. Maybe, maybe there's a reason that that Gigi isn't more of a thing. I mean, <laughs> that th- this is absolutely falls under that Ghibli category of like, this is a series of events that are going to have their own really tied together mini arcs, and then in the last thirty minutes, we're going to turn the pressure on, and it's going to be and it's going to be the big thing that they finally have to solve, like because it's just it's a lot of wholesomeness. And almost like, you know, I don't want to say still life because it's animation, obviously, but like that kind of like slice of life, just, you know, getting knocked down and getting back up kind of a movie. And I definitely noted, I was like, yeah, what is it about like the wholesome end of things that like you're just saving all the tension building for like literally the last 30 minutes? Yeah, it's. It's that thing, I've seen that thing argued a couple times of, like, you know, what even is the three-act structure? Are you sure that, like, you know, three-act structure is this synonymous thing? Are you sure every movie can fit? And it's, like, most of the examples people throw out, I literally, somebody literally tried to argue that the original, I think it's either the original Iron Man or the Avengers wasn't a three-act structure, and it's so stupid, because I'm like, that is textbook three-act structure yeah Either there's kind of, of a battle <laughs> they kind of fall out of the sky and have a battle <laughs> they, be, they be, in the third act it's so funny because you said that with the same intonation as like he built this in a cave <laughs> with a box of scraps scra- he fell out of a hole in the sky <laughs> Kiki cooked this herring pie in an oven with wood she chopped herself. <laughs> and then the girl was so ungrateful. Yeah. How dare you? Your grandmother is working so hard and you won't even see her. Yeah. She can't come to your party. Yeah. It's a little fucked up. A lot of people aren't raised with some... I had half the grandma. A lot of people aren't raised with no home training. Um... Although, I, to be fair, I do have a little bit of a taste of that as well. Uh, as somebody who, uh, like, sees my grandmother quite regularly. And there's been a couple... Mine are both dead. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. He just Batmaned me in the middle of this Ghibli episode. <laughs> No, I'm bat. I'm I'm bat grandchild. Um, <laughs> you Terry McGinnis to me. <laughs> yes, I Terry McGinnis to you. <laughs> God damn it! Fuck! God, that's so good. Um, so anyway, because. <laughs> I got off my original. I got off my original point. I don't even remember what my original point was now. Um, but was it about the dirigible? 
What's interesting? I I am putting this joke in the point God where it's now it. going to be not funny, so that it becomes funny again. <laughs> it's going to go up and down with the helium inside the dirigible. I my brain is brilliant. Sometimes my brain knows exactly how to make me laugh better than I ever could. Um, get wrap your mind around that. Uh, because yeah, I can't. My brain just gave me the visual and the audio of like Gene Belcher saying like that blimp is a dirigible. Because <laughs> 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 like that turkey is our mom now. <laughs> that is that's uh. That's the title of the episode. Um, <laughs> God damn it. Gene Belcher takes an interest in blimps. Um, <laughs> Which is funny. So anyway. Because that's also H. John Benjamin. H. John Benjamin was in Archer and in Pop's Burgers. <laughs> All right. And was in Wet Hot American Summer with Janine Garofalo, who was in Kiki. Um, so... <laughs> God damn it. So I wanted to make sure I said this because it's actually funny. This is the only movie of the three that I had not seen beforehand. I had seen Cat Returns and Mononoke beforehand. Um, but I just assumed that, yeah, I'll throw in Kiki because it's one of the most famous ones and I ha- still haven't seen it. It was either Kiki or Totoro or Porcaroso because I'm just curious about Porcaroso. Um, but I remember vividly seeing the trailer for Kiki. I think I literally saw it probably before something like fucking the Pokemon first movie or some bullshit, like something like that. Uh, I think I literally, and I'm going to make every millennial feel, feel old right now. I'm pretty sure it was one of those coming soon to own on a DVD. <laughs> yes. That's the Disney one. Yeah. That you're thinking of. Um, I think for some reason I saw the trailer for Kiki at a very, very, very young age. So I had always known about Kiki's delivery service, and I can't believe it took me until this long to finally watch it. Because I knew it from like when I was like six years old. But what's interesting is that one of the most vivid things I remember from the trailer is the climax is the end where like she picks up the random guy's broom stands in the middle of the street and like tries to fly for the first time in ages. And I'm like, I can't believe they put that climax of the fucking movie in the trailer. I think, (laughs) I think that other cultures have a different relationship to movies that we do. That's true. Like, I think truly a lot of other cultures, not to say that they require it, but I think other, a lot of other cultures are not bothered. And it's actually appealing to see the seeds of the climax of the movie in a way that, like, Americans will just get so spoiled because, like, we want to, like, get ahead of it or, like, interpret it um, in that same way. Or maybe – and that's also probably something from the past, like, 25 years as well. But, like, yeah, I think there are other cultures who are, Americans like... Americans like to be right. Sure, yes. And I think that that's maybe something culturally where other people are, like, oh, yes, I want to see the movie because I want to see that part. I would like to see that part. That seems to be the end of the movie. And I understand going in that this is likely what the beginning, middle, and end are going to be. And honestly, especially, like, if you're talking about, like, Italians and stuff like that, like, when you think about, like, the history of opera, people go in knowing the whole story. And so it's, like... 
Yeah, they're, the enjoyment becomes like part of the artistry of it and things like that. So like, there's a lot of cultures who like, yeah, you know the entire story going in. I mean, that's basically you, all there's of not about theater at this point. Not necessarily. I mean, there's still plenty of mystery in musical theater. I don't know of like, I can't imagine going to a musical and purposefully avoiding spoilers of like, don't tell me what happens. It's weird because it's the exact opposite for me with movies because in a musical, I'm like, I want to know what happens. I want to know what happens and I might even familiarize myself with the soundtrack before I see it because that's part of it. Part of it is like seeing it in person more than knowing what happens. But it's not that way with me for movies. And I think... It's because of, like, when you see a musical and you see it, especially in, like, different venues with different casts and different directors and stuff like that, it's always different versus a movie is always the same. So you only get that one experience the first time versus, like, if I see fucking Adina Menzel as Alphaba versus Cynthia... Irv- is that her- Cynthia Ervo? Arivo. 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 As uh, Alphaba. They're two different experiences. And it's like, I, I, both. <laughs> A lot of people are like, both, please. I want both of them. I want it all. <laughs> Cynthia Arivo and I. Which is the wizard and I. You don't. Do you know Wicked? I don't know if you know Wicked. I know that much. I know that much about okay. Wicked. Uh, <laughs> Adele Dazeem and I. Jesus anyway. Christ, what an old meme. Uh, yep. <laughs> so, uh, I, that was my little tale about Kiki. Also, Tombo has no fucking game whatsoever. <laughs> like, I mean, none. he's fine. No, it's a thing of like when maybe maybe some people just sharing their interests should be enough no, no. to garner interest in one another. No, no, that's, maybe that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the first okay. time they meet, and he's like, "Wait, why aren't you talking to me?" And Kiki blows up, and he's like, blah, 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 And you haven't even introduced yourself. And literally, when I tell you this, this boy never introduces himself for the rest of the movie, and I'm like. Dude, she literally told you exactly what you need to do, and you just refused to... He calls this girl Miss Witch so many times, and I'm like, my guy, if you don't learn this girl's name, (laughs) I'm going to slap you through this TV screen. You need to know how to talk to women. You need to know how to talk to people. Like... This is crazy that you can go. He's this a boy. Long. He's just not a boy. Not to say that he's like a boy. <laughs> he's, 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 a, he's a child. He's a child. He's just a he's boy. He's learning. <laughs> he just wants to fly. Except probably not as much after that. Although, like, the credit sequence has him flying again. He probably had to go to some, some form of therapy in Hamburg where they're at. Um,. It's only funny because I'm like, I'm talking to you of all people and quoting Finding Nemo. <laughs> oh, 
Cause I know, cause I know, Finding Nemo was one of your. That was like one of the Van DVDs, right? It is one of the Van DVDs. Yeah. Congratulations, DJ! You win my love and affection. Oh, another one <laughs> for remembering that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got that last time. You got this for me in 2016. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I figured it was dilapidated and you needed a replacement. Um, <laughs> I feel feel like it was dirigible and you needed a replacement. Um, Jesus, we're giggly. <laughs> yep, it's fine. It's fine. It's so anyway, I'm just gonna closet. go actually go into okay. Uh, I'm gonna actually go into some of my damn notes because uh, we've been circling this for a while. Yeah. I just love that when she shows up and she's just like, "Hey, where do I go?" There's just a guy in the clock tower to be like, "Oh, you're a witch, eh?" And she's like, "Yeah, I'm the witch here now." And he's like, "Ah, okay. We haven't had one of those. Bye." I'm like, "That's that's lovely. <laughs> I would love to be that person. I want to be that man. <sighs> Start finding clock towers looking for witches." Um, fuck the police shortly after. Um, <laughs> yeah, Tombo said, fuck, Tombo said all cops are bad. <laughs> that cop never shows up again. No, so you yeah, know what he that does. means. He does. When? Twice, actually. Once during the climax, she passes him in the police car while they're driving. And then at the end, when she's in the bakery and they have that montage, I think during the credits, even. Uh, oh sure like the first woman that gives her a delivery job like passes by and then he passes the other way through the window it feels like those things that have blown up on instagram and tiktok recently of like the very very short gif level animations of like wholesome lives with pokemon where they're just like doing normal (laughs) things like that's where that that's what that end credit sequence feels like um Although I guess that I should say the Pokemon one feels like the Ghibli end credit scene. Um, <laughs> I too wish to be a baby swaddled behind beside a French loaf. <laughs> Sounds like a lovely life. Sure. <laughs> a girl comes in, delivers me my pacifier. I get to go. Oh, thank you. Snuggle up next to a focaccia. <laughs> <laughs> But no, like shortly after like her first day and like deciding that that's what she's going to do. And then she, they have this moment where they just really sit with her in bed waking up. And it's like, oh, yes, that morning after like a big life change or like, you know, like if you're like in your dorm or in your new apartment in a brand new city or you start a tour situation where you don't know anyone and you're in Florida and you're just laying there because you're like, there's a thing I'm going to do later. And I have no other options about what I'm going to do today. And it's way too early, but I'm awake. So I'm just going to sit here and breathe. And I'm like, that is deeply relatable because like I don't know where anything is yet. And I'm not ready to like go discover all those things. So I'm just going to lay here. And I'm like, I felt that so hard. If I lay here, if I just lay here. Would okay. you, right. in fact, lie weird. with me and just forget the world? Also, I can confirm that crossing a yard to use the bathroom or sh- or shower uh, does, in fact, suck. And people, it's not fun to do. I had to do that on my first tour uh, for when we were at the home base place. It was it was annoying. Um, look at this Peter Malark looking ass baker. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I for so long. But also. 
You thought that she was her son for so long in the movie, and then I me too. And then I finally had just the thought of like, it was the end. And then I was like, wait, that baby has to have a dad. And I'm like, is that the dad? <laughs> it's I don't know. It's the way it's it's his haircut. Honestly, it's just his haircut makes him look like a boy. Honestly, I think it's just the thing of like, I would absolutely buy that this woman has a gigantic son. Yes. Okay. There's that too. <laughs> I ju- it made sense to me. <laughs> I am so glad that we run exactly the same page about that. <laughs> uh, how is it that I can see all sorts of violent conflict in media, but losing the toy on a delivery ride spikes my anxiety? I I was I my anxiety was spiked even before that when Gigi was like so enamored with I was like Gigi what the fuck are you doing. <laughs> I was like, are you gonna are you gonna get jealous and take the toy out? And like, is it gonna be a thing? Or like, I was immediately peaked, and then she dropped in the force. I was like, oh well, that just sucks. <laughs> That's just- <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness, I feel your repercussions coming. Similar <laughs> because I probably have done this before. Um, <laughs> it's just losing something important of someone else's really fucking stressful. God, it tickles me because I accidentally said that like Professor Oak from Pokemon Snap. (laughs) That just sucks. You were close. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. But then on top of that, it took me it took me the entire second sequence with Bird Lesbian for me to trust her again because I'm like, you could stitch that thing up in two seconds. Why does she have to do child labor in order to do this? Why do you have to make her scrub your floor to do this? It would take you two seconds. Why are you doing that, Bird Lesbian? I don't trust you. And then I trust her later. <laughs> you earned it. Part of me, there is a very small part. There is a very small part of me that wants so bad for plant-based bird girl to hear this. Just <laughs> because every time you say bird lesbian, it just it just conjures like this is the Wish brand, great value brand ripoff of plant-based bird girl. (laughs) And I look, I can't argue with you. (laughs) Look, look, I'm not going to sit here and argue with you because the first time you said bird lesbian, I knew who you were talking about. (laughs) And it's not like they fucking say her name like basically anywhere in the movie. I never caught it. I never caught her name. I never caught it. I, I, I think I heard it once. I did not write it down. Um, you know whose name I did I catch? Mean, I'm pretty sure it's Ursula. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, no, you know whose name I did catch is the 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 assistant, the caretaker of the grandma, whose name is Barsa, mostly because I needed to write it down because of when Barsa was playing with her broom. <laughs> yes. Um, I was like, this is very sweet. <laughs> many fucking cute moments in this movie <laughs> and it's like with people of all ages which is the fun thing it's not like it's just like oh the kids are cute and the adults are pigs looking at you spirited away um well <laughs> uh, i thought of you when uh when tombo invites her to go take a look at the dirigible and she goes thanks but i don't want to <laughs> just like straight up says it um i was like yeah no that's great more people should do that that's called healthy boundaries. Yes. And also, yeah, like, t- look, t- 
that boy needs some fucking boundaries also. Like, he was low-key stalking this girl. Yeah. (laughs) Like, holy shit. And then, look, Asano is really great in a lot of areas. But then, also, look... I don't care what the situation is. If a girl says, I'm not interested about a guy, I'm not going to then go, like, set her up. (laughs) Like, oh, oh, I'm sure she really likes him. I'm just going to have her take a package to him and not tell her who who it's for, really. And I was just like, um, Asano, I don't really know that. I don't really like that. Um, Also, a lot of faith. There's a lot of faith in this movie, in just people in general. You could tell this was made a long time ago. It's an 89 movie, and it's the utopian, like, dream world of Ghibli, where, like, these girls are just casually, like, getting rides from hitchhikers, like, hitchhiking, getting rides from dudes, being like, do these legs look like they belong to a boy? Strange man, look at my legs, strange man, giving me a ride. And I'm just like, this is odd. The word, the world could <laughs> the wor- be that again. We just got to work the at it. The world could be. It could be. It ain't, though. <laughs> uh, that was kind of funny, though. It, I mean, it was fun. Like, because it's nice to live in the dream world of, like, yeah, what if we could just hop in a car and be like, hey, where are you going? You're going that way? I'm actually that way too. Can you give me a ride? Cool, thanks. And just, there's no, it would be so nice. It would be so, why do I feel like that guy from TikTok? Come here. (laughs) Yeah, Jordan the Stallion. (laughs) God damn it. We know TikTok names. There are so many TikTok references in this episode. There are three. In the Ghibli episode. There are three specific. (laughs) I'm really afraid for Hank Green because his state just tried to ban TikTok. (laughs) What's Hank Green going to (laughs) do? Hank watch. Probably his (laughs) job. Anyway, no, the movie's really great. The movie's about striking out on your own and a little bit about writer's block and... I think it's a, I think it's a worthwhile watch, especially, I think people should watch it like shortly after they get settled somewhere. Like it's a really good movie to watch after you've like kind of been through the journey a little bit and can be like, "Mm, I'm going to have like a heart moment about it, you know? So let's talk about environmentalism and capitalism, baby. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what, I don't know what's making you laugh anymore. I just kept going. Oh, we are so all over the goddamn place. I needed a release this weekend. I don't know why. I mean, frankly, same, because life has been just a little bit of hell. Um, hence why we went away for a bit. Uh, life has been hell. Shaboom, shaboom, shaboom. About to be a bit of hell. And the flames up below. Life is hell, sweetheart. Hello, hello again. Shaboom, hello, hello again. The fact that you were barely through the first sentence and I already knew what you were doing. (laughs) (laughs) It was was so immediate. (laughs) Anyway, let's talk about Keith David. You mean Captain Anderson? (sighs) 
I'm getting there, okay? Because <laughs> yeah. I was just like, oh my god, another another Keith David appearance. <laughs> I didn't even know that going in. I just heard his dulcet tones and was like, holy shit. <laughs> Trevor's going to love this. <laughs> <laughs> Keith David and Mini Driver. You know I'm going to love me some Mini Driver, although she is very different than the Mini Driver that I have as my ideal woman, which is Tarzan's Jade. That's so... I never really... Someone recently asked me about like what I want in a partner, and I was flabbergasted because no one's asked me that for at least seven years. Um, and... <laughs> <laughs> and I, I and I didn't say the thing that I should have said, which is what I said way back when we did that episode, which is that like, yeah, no, like the thing I like about the two of them is that it's like they have curiosity about each other. And I think that's really like attractive and, and ideal. Uh, carry on. I am not curious about uh, Madame Iboshi. No, it's just it's funny because I never consciously put two and two together. But it's interesting because like one of your go to movies, Tarzan. And Jane, Mini Driver, one of my go-to movies, Good Will Hunting. Good Will Hunting. Skyler, Mini Driver again. <laughs> Maybe we're just irrationally in love with Mini Driver. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> you and I are going to both become CIA agents, and then Mini Driver is going to come into our lives and be related to the case, and we're going to have to figure out how to do our jobs while also competing with each other for mini driver and you're going to be like oh man i'm like the underdog because it's trevor and then she's going to like take a shine to you and you'll be like i actually have a chance maybe it's not all about trevor all the time but then i'm going to be like uh, but hey bud like you know we should maybe talk about this it's like ah all's fair in love of war and then and then we stop uh Mar- and then we start the villain who is mark strong um <laughs> for some reason um anyway isn't that the plot of the reese witherspoon one with uh chris pine and tom hardy Oh, is it? Yes. Oh. Yeah, there's a whole that that is a movie. Uh, spoilers, I guess. That I just described. <laughs> she ends up with Chris Pine. Which I didn't think was the right choice, but go on. <laughs> just just fuck that movie, right? <laughs> fuck that I movie. I gotta look up this movie now. <laughs> um I feel like I was gonna say something. (laughs) This means war. That's what it is. Oh, I thought it was Spy vs. Spy. Wasn't there a Spy vs. Spy movie? There was a Spy vs. Spy, yes. Huh. Anyway. Um, So... Claire Danes. Billy Crudup. Billy Bob Thornton. Claire Danes. Jada Prigan Smith. Claire Danes. You know what's so funny? I was like, why Claire Danes? And I looked through Claire Danes' filmography, because Claire Danes is one of those people whose name I hear every now and again, and I never have a face. I'm like, I don't know if I've ever seen anything that she's ever been in. And so I look through, and I'm like, nope, haven't seen that, haven't seen that. Oh my god, I haven't seen, I've not seen a single thing. And then I finally got to two movies one that's like oh and then another one that's just funny (laughs) because she's been in the hours which was very nearly uh in our march lineup and is most likely going to be in our march lineup next year if we keep doing this um 
But the other movie she's in is Mighty Joe Young. And I'm like, holy shit, Mighty Joe Young exists. (laughs) I haven't thought about Mighty Joe Young since, I don't know, the 20th century. (laughs) Like, fuck. I know her from Stardust. I never saw it. I like Neil Gaiman, so. I, I'll i take your word. Oh, yeah, Star- okay. Oh, Stardust. Oh, okay. It's my least favorite of his, quite frankly. Ah, uh, that was the one where Robert De Niro was in that one, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. And Michelle Pfeiffer's. <laughs> That's who we are today. Bruno Mars's crush, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's. <laughs> no, no, we're, we like, tonight, today, we are the Key and Peele concierge or valet bit with all these voice actors. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, the first time I saw this movie years ago, I immediately knew that was Billy Bob Thornton. And it was the most distracting thing in the world. I was like, hi, Billy Bob Thornton. What the fuck are you doing in this studio Ghibli movie? <laughs> Why couldn't bo- he have just been Billy Thornton? <laughs> I feel like you leaned hard into the Southern branding and now I'm never going to be okay with it. (laughs) Oh my God. I can't wait to write this description and be like in like the third thing and the sequence I always put at the end of the descriptions being like Billy Thornton. I refuse to acknowledge your middle name. (laughs) (laughs) Bill William Robert Thornton. (laughs) Oh, oh, okay. So first off, before I, before I mention the thing I just stumbled into, which is very funny. um, Gillian Anderson, first off random. Oh yeah. Gillian Anderson. This movie came out in 97. Gillian Anderson's been a thing since 97. Basically acting through her teeth. Sure. <laughs> Do you notice that all the wolves just act through their teeth? I mean, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're all going to do this and we're all going to be okay with it because we're the wolves. This is how we talk. <laughs> uh, oh, what's the Oh god. <laughs> that really oh. tickled you. <laughs> oh, because because it's because it's um what the fuck is that? I so badly, I so badly want to call him a twink for some reason. Um, <laughs> Timothy Chalamet? No. Um, <laughs> hic- uh, hiccup. It reminded me of Hiccup. Oh, Jay Bar- <laughs> Baruchel, or like actually yeah. Hiccup? <laughs> no, Jay Baruchel's voice, because that's just all Hiccup is. Oh, I'm just talking somewhere out like my lower lip. Ah, oh, just I'm yeah, pathetic. Dad. It, oh my uh, god. Holy shit, is he the male Jennifer Coolidge? Oh my god. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, because if I want to do his voice, I'm just gonna do Jennifer Coolidge, but lower. <laughs> it's like when you uh like when you slow when you speed up Jay-Z, it sounds like Nicki Minaj. <laughs> Man, we are all over the place. <laughs> is on drugs <laughs> this is the red team reviews podcast on drugs <laughs> oh my god but the thing i found out that's very funny to me guess who's in this movie it's your i, I, favorite, I don't know i've said everyone it's your I've favorite said everyone person. that i say 
It's your favorite person of all time, Trevor. Your favorite Dan? cartoon character of all time oh. is in this movie. My favorite movie. cartoon character? Yes. I don't know. <laughs> your favorite cartoon character of all time. Jimmy Neutron is in this movie. <laughs> oh, the voice actor? Yes. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this is hilarious. <laughs> By that logic, so is Timmy Turner. Well, yeah, but when is Timmy Turner not in shit? Right. <laughs> God damn it. Anyway. So Mononoke. The the plot of Mononoke. One, two, three, not it. <laughs> I I can actually do this one because it's the one I watched most recently. Of course. Um, so you you have can. Prince That's a- on uh, brand. <laughs> you have uh, okay. You have Prince Akitasha or Ashitaka. Damn it. Oh, I'm gonna do this, aren't I? Um <laughs> And uh, he's he has his own little small village kingdom, and it opens immediately with a demon boar, a boar that has been uh, turned into a demon, which means that it's just covered in like sour sketty from the Haribo uh, line of sour gummies um, or worms. I guess you could call them worms. Uh, you know the pl- that you know demon- that Play-Doh machine when you were like five years yes. old that you like the Play-Doh it hair. And- <laughs> yes. Uh, man, it's gonna be so hard to write this description with how many fucking things we talk about. Um, so this boar is attacking his his village, and he's the one who decides to take it down. But some of the some of the squigglies get a hold of his arm, and they kind of like burn and poison and curse him completely. Uh, and so they're they're all looking at him like, yeah, man, this is like, thank you for killing that thing, and the thing like swears revenge on the tribe. Uh, and so they basically say like, hey, not only did he like curse the whole tribe but he cursed you physically and it's gonna kill you you can go try to like find the spirit of the forest to try to find a cure but like you can't stay here bud you ain't gotta go home but you can't stay here uh you gotta go (laughs) you gotta go the doctor's gone (laughs) (laughs) he was wearing glasses to show that time had passed um Uh, so, and that's, that's the end. That's the, that is the last we see of, uh, Ashitaka's tribe the entire time. So he sets off and, you know, he's from, you know, the podunk little town. He, he ends up in some larger cities and people are like, yeah, what are you doing? Trying to buy rice with gold. And Billy Bob Thornton is shown, shows up as a monk who is a, a monk, but he's a grifter. Uh, and they have a moment back and forth where he kind of does some exposition moments being like, yeah, no, the spirit of the forest and like Iron Town, because what they figured out was that the boar, uh, was turned into a demon and was full of like evil because of an iron bullet that was pierced into its skin. And that would made it go crazy and turn into a demon, um, because it was God. It was like a very powerful boar. Um, and so he's, uh, so, uh, Ashitaga is trying to investigate like what, who made the bullet. And so he gets pointed in this direction, um, and then around the same time, like we meet uh, Madame Iboshi, uh, who just basically taking all the men in her town and grabbing a bunch of rice and they get attacked by the wolves because there's this contentious relationship between the creatures of the forest and Iron Town because Iron Town is like smelting a bunch of ore and creating guns because Madame Iboshi's entire motivation is that she can then extract all the resources from the land um, with the trees and the iron, et cetera, et cetera. If all these godlike forest beings, especially the spirit of the forest, the most, the most powerful one are gone because then once that, once they're gone, all the animals just become quote unquote stupid. They become like animals as we 
you know, had traditionally understood them. I don't want to give animals a bad name under the, you know, under our current understanding. Um, but so she can reap all the rewards. And obviously the forest wants to protect itself, but doesn't know how because guns just fucking kill them. Um, they are weapons of mass destruction and they don't know how to combat it. So uh, Ashitaga ends up, uh, you know, saving a few guys from Iron Town uh, who fall off a cliff during that initial attack uh, and dips them in the water along with himself and finds that he's like found the healing waters where the forest spirit dwells. Um, he brings them back to Iron Town and that grants him admittance. So he gets to like investigate Iron Town from the inside out. Um, Madame Boshi like takes an audience with him. Um, we learn throughout the time here of his journey that like the curse actually makes him like super powerful. Like he can decapitate a man with a single arrow based on the demon like arm that he has now so it's like kind of a superpower that he has um and during all this uh san who like confirm this for me san is princess mononoke but they don't really say that do they they say it once i think yes. lady aboshi might say it or somebody says it like very early on yeah so san does like it you know uh it, it just her whole mission is kill Iboshi, kill Iboshi, kill Iboshi, kill Iboshi. Um, and so she does like this ambush and uh, Ashitaka has to like break them up as they're literally about to kill each other. Um, he breaks them both up and turns Iboshi back over to her, uh, to her town uh, where everyone is like super indebted to her because he bought all the, she bought all the girls out of, um, you know, out of the brothels and brought them in to do the jobs in the, in the refinery. And all the men are like indebted to her because, you know, uh, and a lot of them are hired out. Um, so basically, it sets the stage to where now uh, uh, Ashitaka is is following uh, San, San. God, I am getting so lost in my own thoughts here. Um, so Ashitaka is learning more about the forest and about the wolves. And um, there's a set of boars. Keith David is the head boar. And the boars are going to attack Irontown. And everybody's like, that's foolish. All it's going to do is kill you. And then all your people are going to get hatred and, and raging. And the whole thing is premised around like the more we do violence onto one another and the less we live in harmony, the more hatred and the easier it is going to become for someone to transform into a demon um, and for the balance to be upset. So the stage is set. Billy Bob Thornton shows back up and essentially is goading Iboshi into following through with this so that he can get the head of the forest spirit and turn it back into the emperor for money. Um, so now all these humans have all these motivations to wipe the forest clean. The battle uh, between the boars and the humans sees that the humans were even sacrificed uh, by Iboshi using grenades, uh, you know, just to make sure that everything was wiped clean. So really, it's just becoming like more and more brutal as the time goes on. Um, eventually because of that battle, uh, Keith David's head boar, uh, goes kind of crazy, goes crazy, becomes a demon himself. And finally the spirit of the forest does have to come out and sort of cleanse him and let him die, um, after that kind of altercation. Um, but that was, opens up the spirit of the forest to be the perfect opportunity to be shot in the head twice, uh, by Iboshi in order to claim the head. And from there, his Nightwalker form comes out and starts just spraying black ooze all over the forest. Anybody who touches it immediately dies. Um, it essentially has created the ultimate unbalance in the forest. And so uh, basically San and uh, Ashitaka um, have to track down Lady Iboshi and, uh, and Billy Bob Thornton's monk character. What is his name? 
Jigo. Yeah. Jigo. Anyway, it's a big final battle. Uh, they eventually get the head back from Jigo and they offer it back to the the spirit and the spirit becomes recapitated and sets everything back. <laughs> um, in the process, Iron Town gets destroyed uh, and then Iron Town gets like recovered in in uh, Flora and everybody's like, oh, I didn't even realize that the forest spirit uh, was the one who made the flowers grow. And part of me is looking at that one guy in particular and is going, Dude, what the fuck did you think happened? <laughs> it's like the facepalm <laughs> gif from, like, Airplane. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, and that's basically what happens. And then uh, because of all the, you know, because of the way the things shook out, uh, everybody was cured uh, of the curse of the demon. Um, that is a very, very abridged version of what the actual tit-for-tat is of this movie. But And then Ashitaka, did, does he just not go home? <laughs> Does he just not go back to his sister that I'm sure misses the no, fuck he, out of him? Yeah. Yeah, no, he stays and helps rebuild Iron Town. And then he has this kind of like, I'll see you in the wind relationship with San. Um, like, what the fuck, my guy? Because she's a wolf. She thinks she's a wolf. She's definitely not a wolf, but she thinks she's a wolf. Because she was raised by wolves. You know, like Mowgli. Yeah, sort of. I mean, I don't know how sort of you can get. Like Mowgli was literally yeah, it's, raised it's by just wolves. A, it's just different. <laughs> it's just different. Uh, I think that the demons animation is wonderful, wonderfully terrifying because, like, yes, it like is unsettling. It is a deeply unsettling animation uh, in both forms that we see it in, and so I'm like, good job. Well done. Yeah, they're like scribbles from Foster's home. Oh God, no, that's a little bit more like the uh, the Kadama. Um, I could watch a whole movie of just the Kadama with their little butts because they have little butts I, and their bobbleheads. I I'm gonna just gonna graze. I'm gonna, I'm gonna move on. They have nothing um, else but a face and a butt. I'm gonna move on and um, limbs. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to take the bait. I'm going to move on. Um, like, I feel like the Kadama are very uh, polarizing when it comes to audience members. They're either going to be creepy Yeah, there are people who are terrified. Or yes, they're going to be adorable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, and they use them to great effect because, like, they have them during the calamity of everything. They have them literally falling from the trees amongst everything else that's happening on screen. I'm like, that is a wonderful effect to give me all the action that's happening. Give me this, give me the stakes, give me all the conflict that's happening and unfolding and the calamity. And then also in the, it, it acknowledges for me, it's like, yes, congratulations. The forest is dying. The forest is dying because you introduce these things that like help them once. But then after that, like get to be these, these background players that are directly affected by the events of the, of the movie. And at the very end, with a single one coming out, now that things are starting to heal. Yeah. Um. Billy Crudup. Yeah. Who the fuck is that? Who the fuck is this man? <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Oh no! My brain. <laughs> My brain strikes again. <laughs> I'm, I said, who is this man? And immediately my brain was like, a white man? <laughs> no! <laughs> what did the Kadama do about it? Who Nothing. Is- Typical! Who is this man, Tegan? <laughs> God damn it. 
fuck. Okay, okay. Some sense of order. Some sense of order towards the end. Point it's, of order. It's Mononoke. Mononoke deserves some sense of order. Um, yeah. I mean, the things, yeah. I mean, it's almost like there's, I, maybe should just, we should just talk. start talking about the themes. Well, real quick, like, I guess one of the themes, it, it lines up with one of the themes. Yeah, like you were saying, I think before we started recording, violent as fuck. Yeah, the fact that he could just decapitate a dude with a fucking arrow is is absolutely brutal. And then like oh, like you see the way that like the spirit's head distorts when the bullet goes through it and then retorts back to it. And then like just the number of head explosion, I'm I'm like, "Ooh, hot damn. This is the easily the most violent movie." But then like you and you were saying like that's kind of the point. I th- like it really does illustrate how like violence is just mass destruction. But it's it's also it I know it's deliberate because it's like the Watchmen thing, right? You're familiar with like the thing with Watchmen, right? Like how it's a critique of superheroes, but then because people misinterpret it, they then don't understand the actual critique. Exactly. Yes. Specifically Watchmen came out as a graphic novel. It had its point. It had a very specific point. And then fucking Zack Snyder just didn't understand any of it. <laughs> so, no, not at all. Because the graphic novel does not glorify any of the violence. It just shows it bluntly. It just shows it like verbatim, just as is. There's nothing special about it. And then Zack Snyder does his 300 Zack Snyder thing. And like, you know just slow-mo and zooms and all like, oh, isn't it, isn't it badass? Isn't it awesome? And it's just like, that's literally the exact opposite point of Watchmen. This is that. This is the thing of, like, in an actual movie form of, like, n- the violence isn't really a spectacle. In- it's not a selling point. Right. Like, when Ashitaka, like, decapitates a motherfucker with a goddamn arrow... There's it's no, not triumph. Like, there's no zoom. There's no close-up. There's no, like, slow-mo. There's nothing special about it. It just happens in the blink of an eye, and then the movie just keeps going. Because it's like, it's just like, yeah, this is violence. Violence is like, when you actually witness severe violence, it's surreal. It's not like, let's get out of this, like, Hollywood eyes, like, slow-mo, like, dive and shoot both guns, like, you know, John Woo type bullshit. Like, no, if you actually see, it's like the difference between seeing a fight in an anime or seeing a fight in a movie. And then like, if you ever see a fight happen in real life, it's night and day. It's completely different. Yeah. Everything is like much quicker than you think it is. It's much more awkward than you think it is. It's weird. It's emotionally exhausting. Exactly. And that's exactly what I thought when I saw the vi- the first time and this time when I saw the violence happen in this movie, I th- immediately conned like, yeah, there's nothing special about this violence because there's nothing special about violence. It's awful. Like it is a it is a distorting factor. Like every every layer of violence you fold into this movie just distorts distorts the peace and distorts the beauty of like what should be beautiful in this moment. Like that's, that's a really decent segue into like me wanting to talk about Lady Eboshi. I keep saying madam, don't I? It's lady. Yeah. Um, Lady Eboshi about how like, 
I, she's been fascinating to me every time I've watched this because it's like she did like is beloved by her people, but she is inherently a power hungry capitalist. Like, did she create marginally better conditions for the women involved by giving them uh, a labor job over a exploitative, like, they're both exploitative, but one was exploitative due to their gender, and one is exploitative due to the needs of the extraction in and of itself. And so it's like, when I first watched this movie, I was like, okay, I was a little bit more gray on her being like, but the women are like, proud of themselves for their role in all this but also that's not right and then like this time around i was like no she's in the trash um and and the thing that i landed on was like remember when i talked about my problem with daenerys targaryen and how like a bunch of people are like unequivocally annoyed with like the end of game of thrones because of the way she like turns and becomes like you know a very terrible despot and like the sudden turn was annoying i like we've talked about that yeah but the thing that always got me watching the whole show all the way through knowing that was the end because i spoiled myself was that it's like she claims herself to be a great liberator but at the end of the day none of those people especially people going from slavery to serving you ever had a real choice it's like it's not it's not affirmative consent if no was never really an answer. And that's the thing about Lady Eboshi that's an interesting thing to be, you know, brought up as, as you know, as during the time that this movie was being made is that like, yeah, it's it's an interesting take on capitalism and liberation, quote unquote, through capitalism with these women because it's like they 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 were given an option that was exploitative in a different sense and they may feel like that's a freedom to them but it's like no was never an option to either of those like you were gonna do one of those two things because a third option of your own decisions and your own making was never a choice and that's that's dug deep into the commentary of this movie in a really interesting way i personally took lady aboshi's character to kind of be a thing of like how can somebody both be a good and bad person at the same time? Right. Like, she is a walking, living, breathing paradox of, like, she is doing awful crimes against nature willfully. And 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 they work, like, four-day shits, but also, like, they're more or less happy in the town and everyone's provided for. Like, she genuinely gives a shit about yeah. her people. She genuinely cares, and she's Especially not, the women. Right, and she's not, like... She doesn't crack the whip. She doesn't raise her voice. She doesn't, like... She's not short with anybody. She doesn't abuse anybody. She's very measured throughout the entire movie, very understanding, very patient, almost to the point of actual, like, kindness in some, in some departments, but is still doing these despicable things... With a smile on her face, with just like no self awareness or just like any hesitation of just like, yeah, I'm gonna kill a god. I'm gonna kill the god of the forest. And it's just like, do you not hear the words that yeah. are coming out and, of your mouth? <laughs> and her justification is that, like, and then anything can be mine, and thus anything can be ours. And it's like, it, it, it is this weird kind of thing that you see in media that I, I truly believe is like 
parallel to Daenerys of like, it's a, it's a revolutionary, it, it is, it is the despot after the revolution, you know, like, it's like, oh, you're going to turn what exists on its head so long as you remain in the top position and that's not questioned. And so, like, that's the thing about it. It's that, like, we don't examine the story from that point of view of, like, what happens when people do catch on to her bullshit? That doesn't happen. They actually accept her right back in at the end, and she's kind of just like, well, I guess we're foiled. Like, both of the human villains just go, okay, I guess I'm not doing that anymore. And it's kind of like, that's an interesting way to end this. I think one of the one of the things, once I start thinking about... Because Jigo and Aboshi are like, are very similar, but not just because of like, obviously their role in the story and whatever, but because they both say things that are similar in the movie, which is like, Aboshi is like, I want to rule the world. And Jigo is like, everyone wants everything. Everyone wants the world, but I'm the one, I'm somebody that could actually get it right now. They're like... And to me, and this will probably be very relevant to you going through Mass Effect right now, because that's humanity. Humanity is almost defined by their need to want as much as they possibly can. They are great innovators. They are strong. We are like, you know fantastic minds we can do amazing things like the fucking the pyramids and eiffel tower and statue of liberty all this bullshit we can do all this stuff but it's almost always powered by the wrong things it's almost always powered by greed and gluttony and like just uh i want everything just because i can like an elon musk or a bezos I want to just accrue as much stuff as I can, because I can. And I think the best things about... The best things about Ghibli protagonists is that they always challenge it by doing the subversive thing, which is that... Which is proposing a thing of... And I think this is where Kiki and Ashitaka have most of their similarities. Which is that if I can do anything then I would like to do good. And that is completely antithetical in the case of Mononoke to everything that Eboshi and Jigo stand for. Because they're like, if I can do anything, I want everything. And Ashitaka is like, okay, but like, if I, if we, if we as humans are capable of so much then why can't we do good? Why can't we leave the world better than we can? Why can't we just have peace? Because the humans are 100,000% in the wrong in this movie. San brings that up many times of like, why are you even bothering? Like, why does it matter? They have fucked this up single-handedly. They are the reason that everything is going to shit. And Ashitaka is like, true, very true. But the only way that this is going to actually end is if there's peace, not justice. Is that there is actually, like, we save everyone. Not just the people that quote-unquote deserve it and leave everyone to rot. We have to save everyone. 
and actually find a way to coexist. Otherwise, what's the fucking point? I mean, there's a world in which that is a definition of justice. Yes, there's a world well. in which that, yeah. I would say that's the main difference between, <laughs> this is so funny. I would say that's the main difference between Superman and Wonder Woman. <laughs> I mean, hell, it's a Darth Maul quote from the Clone Wars talking about how justice is just based, justice is defined by the current power paradigm. Um, Unfortunately. <laughs> justice in any given, yes. Um, and he's right. Darth Maul is right about that. Um, Damn you, Dave Filoni. <laughs> think about that next time you think about the Justice Department um, or Supreme Court justices. Um, it's all defined by the power dynamics. Uh, but yeah, that's, there's not much else to say. I just think this is this is absolutely the strongest case for like this is certainly Miyazaki's stance, from what I understand, from what I understand of his politics, that it's like he's a massive environmentalist. Um and a man and I, I is he a pacifist too? Am I right am I right in thinking that? That he's a pacifist? Yeah. Um, I would assume so. Like stuff like Nausicaa and Mononoke. Honestly, even a little bit of Howl's Moving Castle, even though he didn't write it, um, you know, a lot of it is, and honestly, a lot of his original stuff like Kiki and, you know, Cat Returns also, like, they don't emphasize violence. They don't emphasize, like, action. Like, it's very clear he can tell so many stories about, like, interpersonal conflicts and stuff like that that don't need big action movie, like, climaxes and finishes. Like, Nausicaa is one of his big, big examples of, like, yeah, this is pacifism. Mononoke with Ashitaka. Um, Spirited Away, I think, is another thing of, like, it. how typical would it have been if... Sen, I think it's Sen. Sen, um, oh no, no, that's not her actual name, but like, whatever. Um, if Sen, like, had a showdown with, uh, the, the witch that, like, is in charge of the bathhouse. Like, I think in an American version of that story, like, yeah, it's a last, you know, the, it's the climax of the movie is a actual battle. Whether it be a battle of wits or a battle, like, literally, but a lot of his movies do subvert that. A lot of his movies are like, no, no, no. The fighting is not the important part. Like, Kiki's climax is literally about saving somebody. It is not about, like, you know, figuring out the thing or fighting the thing or, like, outthink- outwitting the thing. It's about saving someone. And, yeah, Ashitaka is the biggest probably the most blatant example cuz that is like pacifism more or less done right ashitaka is very much like i don't want anybody to die i don't want anybody to die and i will literally take a bullet through the goddamn back to walk out of here with no blood drawn other than myself and save both of these women if i can so I think when it comes to, I, I mean, I haven't seen every single Ghibli movie, but I get the sense that, like, uh, he's very anti-war, uh, pro, you know, environment, like taking care of the environment and very pa- uh, passive, pacifist. Well, that was all I had. 
I've done all I can do. <laughs> I was thinking of something like that. <laughs> um, no, but like, and I think that the interesting thing is that like, I, I, the first time I watched this years ago, I had a really hard time. I don't know what was going on with me at the time, but I had a really hard time getting through it and understanding the twists and turns that were happening because they weren't what I expected. Like, I don't think they're totally unexpected, but I was kind of just like, oh, why is San being that way? And why, why is this and that? And like, I just kind of didn't wrap my head around it. It wasn't until this watch around that I was like, oh, I wanted something different out of this movie than what it actually was. And this time around, I actually got to sit down with the movie and like, accept what it was supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, one, it's a very long movie. Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, 2.15. And two... Uh, Miyazaki in general has a very slow pace. There is a yeah. lot of atmosphere in his movies. Um, I definitely, there were times in Kiki where I definitely was like slowly like 10 seconding forward. Cause I'm like, I get, I get it. I get that. There's a lot of atmosphere. I just want to get to the next story. beat. <laughs> um, also, you mentioned earlier the uh I skipped a lot of the uh crow like dropping the dropping the toy in the forest thing cuz I'm just like I actually don't think I can handle this amount of anxiety. <laughs> so I'm just like All right, let's get back to like the fun cute stuff. <laughs> Kiki. Um But yeah, uh I will say Two out of the three of these movies were, like, light and fluffy and, like, not... Well, it's interesting, because Cat Returns... I think it's on a spectrum, and I think it makes sense why we did it in this order. Because Cat Returns is just fluffy fun. It's short. It's silly. It doesn't take itself too seriously. It still has a message, of course, but, like, it's, you know, easy. And then it gets turned up a little bit in Kiki because it's decept it's like it makes it seem like it's the same thing. That it's fun and silly and goofy and cozy, but it also has a much deeper message now. Of like you know, sometimes this 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 thing called life is not gonna throw you the thing that it's not gonna you're not gonna have the thing that you think. It's not always going to pan out the way that you want it to, or you're going to get stuck in times where you thought everything was going to be much better, much easier, much more fun. And that's okay. Like, it's okay to, like, take a break from the thing that used to give you joy and just take a walk, you know, take care of yourself, and then come back to it whenever you feel like it, because that should be how life is. Uh, and then Mononoke is much more challenging. It's much more like, you know, real change is fucking hard. Real change, specific, like, dynamic, like, progressive change is tough because you're going to start going up against people with deeply held beliefs that are not going to be swayed by a single passionate speech that are going to bring their fucking claws out figuratively and literally to like defend their point of view even if it's well-meaning even if it's you know narrow-minded and clouded like they're going to fight to the death to do the thing that they think is right even if it's wrong and 
to try and save everyone. That is like in a lot of games and a lot of video games. That's the hardest thing is like you can do option A, option B or option C. Option A is easy. You kill this guy. Option B is easy. You kill the other guy. Option C, where you save everyone, is the hardest route. And there's a lot of games like that. And yeah, that's reflective of life. It's reflective of like, you know, we're seeing it literally in real life today uh, where people are so hell-bent on not having things change and not evolving and not adapting, keeping things under their thumb, keeping things ground in where they understand it. And it's fucked. It's fucked up. Yeah. It's literally going so far as to strip people of their rights um, and their ability to exist in the world. And that's why, like, the the way that guns play into this movie as well just feels deeply prescient because of the conditions that our schools are in um, and how people are just so similar to Iboshi, so willing to just say like, no, 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 keep going on the gun range. It, it, it's going to work out. And it, and, and from their perspective, it's like, it works out because they get to win. They get to win and be the one who has, is on the positive end of a deadly force. Um, and that's why that that's what's so interesting about this movie is that like the, the biggest audience for this movie is the next generation. Not just in terms of like target audience, but just like in watching this and having absorbed all the news of the past month of how much this perspective of we need to save the environment because we're going to grow into a world that's not inhabitable for us. And these capitalist systems that just consume, consume, consume and spit out violence and weaponry are not not going to sustain. They will not be able to carry on without deep, you know oppression and like that's why ironically you know i don't i don't find star wars media to be that insightful all things considered about like the actual state of rebellion but andor did a really good job and there's a speech from that that's basically about that the thing that as the news has unfolded is that like the reason that that these things are so ham-fisted and that they claw so desperately to to hang on to their power is because it's deeply unnatural. Oppression and capitalism are deeply unnatural things, and we're waking up to that. Um, and so, honestly, that's what was so interesting about watching this movie in this moment right now is that it's like, yeah, there's a part of me that's going to go around and be like, hey, if you haven't watched this recently, you should watch this. Because it might resonate more with some people who just enjoyed their time with it the first time this time around because of the of us being so very similar in such a similar position to what's going on in a film that's set in a you know medieval fantasy world yeah dirigible i tell you the journey that some of our episodes go on <laughs> <laughs> we we're sitting here bonking our heads with like rubber mallets for half for three quarters of an episode and at the end we'd be like listen we need to talk to you about voting rights um because like god you yes remember, we absolutely did that you remember dexter's and you wanted to do princess mononoke first uh you remember uh dexter's lab sure remember uh 
uh, Dexter's lab and they had like the puppet pals. I think it was what it was called. Puppet pals. Yeah, I think it was like word like the. I remember the Super Friends one. Is like uh the one that was like, they tell some shitty joke of like knock knock who's there like like bonk. Uh, oh yes. It's literally like we did that for like two hours and then was like, bonk. <laughs> okay, let's talk about gun control. It's just like. Yes. Jesus. <laughs> Extemporaneously to boot. You know, kids, we've had. <laughs> Dude, that is, I like started to try to do Dexter and then like bailed immediately. You know, kids. <laughs> We've had a very good time today, but you should never, ever. I'm not gonna. Actually, I'm not gonna do this. I, I, it is too depressing. I know, right? It is too depressing. All the multitude of what I could have said. <laughs> it's too depressing. Hello, kids. It's your best friend Bongo, and I know we've had some laughs today, but you know something that's never funny is being touched in a way that you don't like, and it's just like okay, whoa, okay, whoa, okay, all right. Whoa. My God, good message to pass on. Very important for kids to understand consent and their bodies. Yes, and that is just. Th- the vessel. That is, that joke is not just me pulling something out of the ether. I think literally Sonic did that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> There's nothing better than being like than being touched by a person you like. But if somebody does do uh if somebody touches you in a way that you don't like, that's no good. And I'm like What is happening? <laughs> Thanks, Sonic. Thanks, uh Jaleel White. <laughs> That was Urkel. Um, <laughs> Hollywood is so fucking weird. Okay, anyway. But Michelle Pfeiffer's though. <laughs> uh, you've seen that movie Argo? It's so good. It's so fucking good. Um, anyway. So, yeah. P- props, props to you if you get that reference, by the way. Props to you. Um, so, yeah, that's been Studio Ghibli. Again, uh, part two, part two, um, who knows? It'll be a part three. Who knows? Indeed. Uh, vote on your phones, uh, which three movies we should do next. Um, <laughs> standard text message and rate supply. <laughs> Fuck American Idol. So, uh, yeah, if there's nothing else about these movies, which I think we've, I think we've said everything by this point. That's where you're wrong, past TJ, you sick fuck. You actually forgot to talk about the music, which is legendary, which is iconic, which is beautifully gorgeous, which is drop-dead stunning, uh, done by, uh, I believe you say his name, Joe Hisaishi. Uh, I'm so sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong, but he is a treasure, he is a fantastic composer, and he is right up there with the John Williams and Hans Zimmers and all of them. He is amazing. His music is immaculate. All right, back to back to past me. You fuck. Um Yeah. Mini Driver's great. And uh honestly all three of these movies They took my boot. <laughs> Daddy. Um all three of these movies are great. 
they look great. They're really fun. They're really deep. They're really moving. Uh, Ghibli's awesome. Miyazaki's awesome. And yeah, maybe we'll do Pokemon at some point. Who knows? But until then, I've been TJ Patrick. I'm Trevor Catalano. And here's hoping that one day you find the bird lesbian in your life who will put you on the right path. Or the furry bait. Whichever way you swing. Good night, everybody. You tried. (laughs) 